Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 161 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 14th, 2011. Got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Lots to get to. We're going to get to a lot of recruiting later on the show. We'll have Gerard Martinez and a new addition to the uscfootball.com staff. Brian Matthews will both be talking about, they will both be talking about USC recruiting. We're out over the weekend checking out some of the USC recruits. Got to see them in person, take some film. We'll talk about some of those guys, some USC commits actually as well. And of course, we've got the coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We love talking to coach about football. we got some football 101. we got some questions about the NCAA. Lots of fun stuff to talk about. Coach, how are you? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. And again, thank you very much for joining us. And our uh, listeners out there, thank you very much for joining us and sending in questions and so on that we can discuss. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's show, especially with the Ohio State situation and uh, the USC situation, the Auburn situation, and some of these other schools that see that, you know, when you live in glass houses, rocks can be thrown. And uh, (laughs) I just want to talk about the difference of philosophies in these programs. All right, Ryan? Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And if uh, we got some questions today, but if you have any questions or comments you want to send for our next show, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755 is the number. Leave us a voicemail. We have a couple of voicemail questions we will play on the air today. And want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or if you want to call them, 1-800-888-7287. They've been nice enough to sponsor this segment of the show pretty much since the inception of the Peristyle Podcast over three years ago. If you need tickets for the con- any kind of concerts, sporting events, the theater, take your girlfriend out someplace nice, go to Southern California Tickets, and that's where Coach and I like to go. Exactly, and I'll tell you, if you want to go to the Final Four or any of the regionals or so on, they can get you tickets for that too. So don't hesitate. Give our friends a call. His name, ask for Curtis or Stephanie. They'll take real good care of you. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we were talking about that NCAA stuff. Let's get the question in. I'll play the question for you, and then we can get your comments, Coach. Hello, this is Tom in Arkansas. In light of the recent uh, new allegations against Ohio State football with the two players and the drug investigation by federal authorities, it seems to me that Ohio State is lacking institutional control. I'm wondering, is this going to make it easier? Of course, we don't know what penalties they'll put on Ohio State, but will this make it easier for USC's appeal to the NCAA, or will it have no effect? Uh, I'm assuming because of the Maurice Claret and Troy Smith episodes and and the other players that should have been banned from last year's bowl game, or actually this January's bowl game, I'm thinking Ohio State needs to lose at least 10 scholarships for at least three years, uh, vacate last uh, bowl game's victory, um, and have all kinds of penalties. Otherwise, the NCAA is totally unfair. What do you think? Goodbye. Well, I tell you, that's a very intelligent question, and I can see you've done your homework in uh, being in, uh, at, well, 
a supporter, I assume, of the University of Arkansas or maybe USC football, you can you look at it the same way I do. I'll tell you, if you look at the allegations that are now at uh, Ohio State and so on, I think they're far more severe than what uh, USC had done. First of all, USC is a third-party situation. Someone out there that's doing something with their parents away from the program, 130 miles away in San Diego, with their home and so on. That's a very, very difficult thing to administer, especially going up to a parent and saying, hey, I, we don't think you, sh you, afford, you can afford to live in this house. I mean, that's, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty uh, what do you want to say, pretty uh, strong statement to tell somebody. And to say that they should be aware of that and lack of institutional control when you have 600 student athletes in your athletic department. Ohio State's is a little bit different. It's inner. It's, in, it's a part of what's going on daily. It's something that the head coach knew about. And I've been a head coach, okay? So it's hard for me to say this about Jim Trestle. The first thing you want to do is protect your program. You want to protect your uh, players. You, can, you, you know the magnitude of this, yet you don't know how to really handle it. And by doing nothing, you did the wrong thing. You have to do something. He thought by suspending them uh, from next year's opening five games that that would be enough. But people didn't realize that he was aware of all of this stuff a long time ago. And he should have uh, exposed it to his authorities or to the athletic director, compliance department, and so on. And he didn't do this. Now, if you notice, Ohio State reacted immediately. And they said that, uh, that he would not coach two games. The players have already been suspended for five games to try to show a stiff penalty that they've enforced themselves. Now, when you make $3.5 million a year and you're – penalize $250,000, and when you take the taxes out of that and so on, you know, it isn't a whole lot of money. But when you sit five players out, okay, against the teams they're playing, it is, it's, 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 yes, it's a shame they can't play, but it's, they're lucky they weren't banned from college football for the entire year. Now, that could come back by the NCAA and say that they can't play any more football. So, you know, uh, they, it wasn't that important where they didn't let them in play them in the bowl game. They let them play in the bowl game. And that's something I think they better make, made a big mistake on. They should have said you can't play in the bowl game knowing what they knew about this situation. Now, the difference between the Big Ten and the Pac-10 is two complete stories. You've got Jim Delaney, who is the commissioner of the Big Ten, and he is strong. He is really strong with the NCAA. He's outspoken. He can push as far as he wants to push. He always gets two teams in the BCS Bowl games. He's intimidating. And, of course, the Big Ten sticks together. So you've got 12 presidents here who are going to watch this situation real closely and, I believe, support Ohio State in whatever that type of ruling is. I'm not saying they're justifying what they did, but they're not going to let them come after them and punish them as strongly as what they did USC. You look at, they should, now don't get me wrong, you look at the Pac-10, the Pac-10 was wishy-washy the whole time, a change in commissioners, uh, no one stood up, Larry Scott didn't stand up, Tom Hansen didn't stand up, you saw no one making calls among the uh, presidents trying to support USC. I think the Pac-10 was happy, excited about USC going on probation and losing those scholarships. Why? Gave them a chance for someone else to win. 
uh, I, I think it's two different situations. I haven't seen anybody come out and support USC in any way as far as saying hey, it was it, the penalty was too tough. Now, and in the Big Ten, people will do that. People will support each other. They realize the importance of the Big Ten network. They re- realize the importance of revenue. They realize all of those things towards the athletic programs and the image of the Big Ten. So it's going to be a different story. I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly what the NCAA does here with Jim Delaney at the controls. While in the Pac-10, I really get the feeling that everyone sort of sat back and said, good, SC deserved this uh, because we can't beat him anyway, and this will give us a chance to catch up. So I agree with you 100%. I think that the Ohio State situation is far greater a violation than that of what USC's was. It took the NCAA only five years to decide what they were going to do at SC, and it drug on and drug on and drug on. And let me tell you, it didn't complete yet. They're still dragging it on. How long does it take to decide whether they're going to approve the appeal or not? Now it goes in their favor because now they have to look at the Ohio State situation. They're going to say, now, do we want to put USC out of a bowl game and Ohio State out of a bowl game? These two teams could play in the Rose Bowl or BCS bowl game. And what about our television revenues and responsibilities there? And if the NFL doesn't play, what about if we play games on Sunday with our television revenue and the marketing and the tons of millions of dollars we can make there? So I think they're going to look at this a little bit differently, especially the Big Ten. They're strong. They're powerful. Their administration is powerful. Listen to the comment their president said, well, I just hope that Jim Trussell doesn't fire me. I mean, hey, that's a little arrogant, isn't it? That just shows you the strength of Jim Trestle. Do you think anybody in the Pac-10 would say that as a president? I think that sort of answers it, doesn't it, Ryan? That certainly does, Coach. And I think that's you've hit on a great, I mean, a lot of great points, but something that's really frustrating a lot of USC fans out there. It seems like the NCAA wanted to make a statement that they typically weren't going hard after universities. USC was a university where you had an athletic director that was seen as arrogant, that was a university that didn't really cooperate with the investigation where you see all these other universities kind of slapping themselves on the wrist, showing, hey, we know we did something wrong. We'll, we'll punish ourselves. And it seems to be like that's what the NCAA likes. So there's almost like a perfect storm here where USC didn't do anything, didn't make any statements, never came out and said anything, never said they did anything wrong, didn't punish themselves. You know, the, the perception is this this team that's been winning for so many years, seven straight BCS bowl get birth, uh, uh, an arrogant athletic director that doesn't seem to care what other people think about what's going on, and a conference where it's it's kind of a, a one big team and all the rest that don't really enjoy the, <laughs> the company of that one team. And it wasn't a strong conference where the, the administration under, you know, the, the previous regime before Larry Scott in the Pac-10, it was very weak and there wasn't any kind of moving and shaking going on. They just kind of went along status quo, took worse bowl games, weren't trying to do anything fancy. And I think all of that together just spelled doom for USC and then they get hit hard. And it's almost like I don't know if I don't think the NCAA can keep up that kind of precedent and they keep saying it's apples and oranges there's no precedent there to be set whatever but it seems like other universities because they don't want to hit these te- teams as hard as they hit usc it seems like the the strong penalties against usc might help the other universities and they're like you know we can't really do that to other schools we're not going to do that again you know kind of like what they did after smu but it seems like there's a perfect storm of things that 
every little thing that could have went wrong against USC in the situation seemed to go wrong. Well, you know, it, it went wrong. It's it's amazing how the media can point out that the athletic director at USC is arrogant when he made a statement at a booster club meeting that you know they just wish they were USC uh, alumnus uh, or whatever exact words. I don't know what Mike Garrett used. Yeah, the president at a university can come out and say whatever they he wants. Do you hear anybody criticize him? Do you hear anybody talk about that statement? You don't hear anybody talk about it. Why? Because the Big Ten is so strong, and the college presidents are in charge and hire and fire the NCAA presidents, is that they're, te- they're just treating that very lightly. While in the Pac-10, the Pac-10 isn't united as far as to the point of where they're willing to stick up for one of their conference members. Uh, I, I'm anxious to watch and see just how strong Larry Scott will be in these type of situations in the future and fight for two BCS Bowl teams and all the necessary things for what makes a conference great. Uh, the Big Ten has this pride among itself. And, and really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, I hate to see any penalties come up upon universities or, or schools or athletes, but it certainly is interesting to me how... Is anyone talking about it now? It's almost all over with. It's like it's been handled. I mean, please. I mean, because it's SC, should the president resign now because this happened? At Ohio State, should Gene Smith resign because this happened at Ohio State? Should they change the football coach? Should Jim Trestle move on and become a coach at go back to Youngstown? I mean, Please, all these demands were pushed onto USC as far as the pressure from the media and others out there that felt this had to be done to be able to clean the program up. The program's not dirty. Look back, as this gentleman said, as far as all of these other players and things that have happened in the background. SC's program wasn't dirty. It had some tennis player that made some phone calls. That's not dirty. That's someone that got a hold of a credit card. That could be anybody. What about just check the student body? Let's see what's happening in the fraternities and all the other different areas on campus. I mean, they had a basketball player that got in trouble. Okay, when you have 600 athletes, those things happen. Is that lack of institutional control? Please, you've got to call it something else. And I'll tell you what, SC cleaned house on some people that didn't deserve it and also penalized the university severely, more than what any university, I think, should have been penalized. And I want to know who stepped up. Who stepped up and said, except for USC, and they're not doing it because they've got to play it right. Who stepped up and supported them, really, as far as a university or a group of presidents or anybody? Nobody, including the media. The media has been wishy-washy. One writer writes it's too severe. The other writer writes it's not hard enough. It, you know, back and forth. It's ridiculous. No, it is, Coach. And it obviously you're going to see things now. You know, Jim Trestle gets two games. That's self-imposed. I mean, two so that was games. something coming from the university. We still have to wait and see what's going to happen from the NCAA. The first thing we should see, though, before anything like that comes down, is the the appeal and what's going to happen with the appeal. But if the appeal doesn't go through and USC still has 10 scholarships a year for three years – Obviously, that's fairly severe. And then, you know, down the road, you hear what happens to Ohio State. Does the NCAA go more lenient because they took out some, they admitted wrongdoing and 
and punish themselves, even though it's just a little punishment. Uh, but there are so many things that, that have gone wrong, and it's such a – it just seems like a corrupt organization, Coach, where it's, it's, it's picking and choosing its battles and who it wants to pun- penalize and for, for, for what reason. It just doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason or logic to what's going on. There's too much favoritism. There's too many people who uh, want to uh, be what they want to be, and they're power crazy in a way. They really are. And uh, I don't know how many people had a chance to watch that Tarkanian uh, HBO thing yet. Uh, I'd like them to watch that and and get a feeling of how uh, you know the NCAA works. I've been a part of watching them work, uh, it, it, how they can close their eyes to some things, and how they can go after other things. And uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's amazing. I'll tell you, it's additional penalty right now on USC. People don't realize this. When you don't come and give them an answer, that's extending the penalty that they have. Please let us know what are we working on. Do we have ten scholarships? Do we have fifteen scholarships? Do we have twenty-five scholarships? What do we have? Please let us know. All this is 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 extended punishment when they can't come up with an answer. On are they going to approve the appeal? Are they not going to approve the appeal? What are they going to do about it? I mean, they can't get together. They have time to go to conference tournaments. They have time to go meet two hours and play four hours of golf. They have time to do all of these different types of activities, but they don't have time to make a decision. Please, you're punishing student athletes. You're punishing universities and all of this. Yet, I know the answer is you don't have to be a part of the NCAA. You can withdraw and form your own type of conference. That that's the answer, and everyone knows that's what it's. You got to be politically correct. Don't say anything wrong about them. Don't let any alumni come to practice or do this or do that. But you got to win their favors, and maybe they'll be leaning on us. Uh, that's not the way you run anything. You treat every, treat everybody the same. What more could USC have done in their situation? I'd like to know what more could they have done. I think they wanted the whole student body suspended at USC, <laughs> all 40,000 or whatever it is for a year. Then maybe they had to come back and let them have five scholarships. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. We'll, we'll know more. We'll keep talking about it, Coach, I'm sure, until that comes around. And uh, But before we let you go, I wanted to get in a little Football 101 segment since we've been doing that a little bit every week. And uh, one of the, I guess one of the most confusing groups on the, the football field and when people talk about buzzwords and things like that is on the defensive line. And, you know, in USC's case, when they're playing like a four, three type of defense or, you know, uh, I can't, did you call it a, I can't wait. There was different terminology for it, but with four down uh, linemen, linemen two, two guys inside, two defensive ends. Yeah. There, there's people talk about this guy's a nose guard or he's a three technique. And there's, a, there's a lot of different words like that that kind of get buzzed around when you talk about the defensive line, maybe you could kind of address some of that a little bit. All right, a guard, when you play head up on the guard, that's a three technique. You play head up on the tackle, that's a four technique. You play head up on the uh, tight end, that's a five technique. If you move to the inside uh, shoulder, then that's a four and a half technique, three and a half technique, uh, th- uh, four and a half, five and a half, four and a half, uh, three and a half to the inside. You move outside, you just move to the shade. So each shade gives you a different type of uh, uh, of numbering. So when you say, I want you to play a three technique, you play head on. I want you to play a three and a half technique, uh, then you uh, play uh, outside. I think it's outside shoulder. Maybe I had it backwards. Four and a half techniques, outside shoulder. Five and a half techniques, outside shoulder. Then you move it to the inside and it goes the other way. I think it goes when you're in a five, you go to four and a half. When you're in a 
a four, you go to a three and a, a four, three and a half, and you move it down from a three to a two and a half. That gives you the difference of what techniques you want played. Head up, inside shoulder, outside shoulder, head up, inside shoulder, outside shoulder. So you just tell them, rather than say, play on the shoulder, inside shoulder, which we used to do, you just give it a number. you got the zero in one hole as far as blocking on the offensive line. That's on the right and the left side of the offensive uh, of the center, even to the right, on to the left. Normally, that's the way you do it. Uh, it, it depends uh, what your terminology is, but basically that's what they, how the way they call it. So the numbers kind of go from low to high, inside to out. Yep, inside out, right. Three, four, five. Three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, depending where you want them to play. Yeah. So, so the, the, uh, it goes the, back inside when you tell them, play a three technique. That means play head up on the, the guard. Play a four technique, play head up on the tackle. Play a five technique, play head up on the on the defensive uh, tight end or the offensive tight end. So there's different techniques that you learn and you play and numbering and so on. Uh, shades. You know, what I used to say is, uh, you know, you could, rather than say play a shade or a shoulder, it's so much easier to give it a number because there's more wording that you have to learn as far as your defensive scheme. So you try to number things to make it a lot easier for the players. And then one last part of this that they talk about, you know, the, the two guys inside, I think a lot of times are looked at as, as run stoppers and guys on the outside, kind of more pass rushers. Obviously, you know, they have to do both. But um, for defensive ends, they talk about like a strong side defensive end and a weak side defensive end. And sometimes it's, a, you know, on the weak side, you bring up a, a linebacker, maybe a guy that's a little bit undersized. But what are kind of the differences between playing on the strong side and weak side at, at defensive end? Well, normally on the strong side, you have your more physical defensive end, and normally you're not going against their best offensive tackle. You, you have a more power, power running game towards your tight end side, so you have to be more physical. You have to be able to take on more types of double teams or kickouts by guards or kickouts by uh, fullbacks and so on. So you're more of a physical type of, of guy. Yes, you do pass rushing, but your best pass rusher always plays to the weak side. Normally, because most formations uh, uh, have their best offensive tackle on the left side, so you want to put your quickest guy rushing to the blind side of the offensive quarterback. Most quarterbacks are right-handed, so you want your quickest, your fastest defensive end coming from the backside where he doesn't see you coming, where you can strip the football or, or beat him there. But in most situations, in all situations, I would say the best offensive lineman on your team is your left tackle because you normally go against their best defensive lineman or quickest defensive lineman in their right defensive end. So uh, that that is what they do. The defensive ends are more more physical, taller, knock down passes, uh, pursue, uh, react. Uh, the guys inside those guys are more more physical, more bull rushers more uh, hold your ground, short yardage, don't get blown off the line of scrimmage, pursue, take gaps, penetrate, uh, get the play before it gets started, don't allow one blocker to block you, force double teams on pass rushes. Uh, that way when they have to form, a, have a double team on you that allows a linebacker or a safety blitz or something to, to go and force them to be blocked by a back when you have to double team a, a Fairly or somebody like that because then that puts your backs into blocking situations and you really don't want your backs to block physical guys because they're normally not as good a pass blocker that has a run at them 
than uh, than one of your defensive linemen. So your your defensive tackles, uh, they're physical. They're studly. They're, they can get be six one, three hundred and ten pounds. You know, they can't play the defensive end positions. You've got to have quickness. You've got to have tall, lean guys that can run, guys that can pursue down the line of scrimmage, and that stop plays on the backs on the on the side away from them. And they've got to be react, be able to react on bootlegs and play the outside and not allow reverses and things to get around them. So uh, they're the more athletic type of players playing on the outside the ends. And the and the strong side end is normally your bigger, more physical type of guy to take on the type of runs that Stanford does off tackle where they block down and come around with their tackles and block out and double team down and do all kinds of different things to try to sweep you. You've got to be able to uh, be able to out physical the tight end blocking you on outside runs and so on and dominate. A lot of times in passing games uh, schemes they keep the tight end in to block you. Well, you've got to be a, you've got to be stronger and faster and a better athlete than the tight end as far as st- uh, him blocking you on the run and the pass. So uh, they all are different type of players. There are a few like Armstead who does both, plays inside and plays outside. I think he's a better inside player. I don't think he has the quickness to play outside. I really don't. I think they'd be better with Kennard and and uh, the kid from Michigan. I think Perry. Nick Perry. Perry yeah. yeah, guys like that. Uh, but they had to play him out there. So I, I just think you've got to have more physical guys inside to dominate and uh, really uh, – Get penetration there to stop a play before it gets started. You really do. You got to have some studs in there. What stopped Oregon was fairly in those guys. The offensive guys, linemen, guards could not block the defensive tackles of Auburn. Their option game inside was gone. It threw out their play action pass, everything. It was gone. So Oregon's offense had to change and go to a different type of offense completely because the defensive tackles of Auburn dominated. Oregon's offensive line, if you remember that game. I do, Coach. Well, it's great stuff. We appreciate uh, your insights there. Former head coach, UNLV, coached a lot of great players that ended up in the NFL and stuff. Coach, thanks again for uh, joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Ryan, it's always a lot of fun with you. It really is. And uh, for our listener out there that asked that, that from Arkansas that asked that question, I don't know if you uh, agree with my answer or not, but uh, I just wanted to tell you that's where it really is. I it think really is. Uh, I think the Pac-10 has been wishy-washy and not sticking together, not getting the television contracts or putting together a television cable network that other ones have, and it's time they make a move. I haven't seen much happen currently right now with the Pac-10 under the leadership of Larry Scott, except for bringing in two teams and nothing against these two teams, but I don't know what they did to improve the uh, the Pac uh, ten to Pac twelve. I don't know what they did. There's a lot. Of, there's the good thing though, Coach. There is at least a lot of talk. There's something going on where before it was just never. It was just so wishy washy. Nothing ever happened. At least now they're they're trying. They're it looks they're like trying. They're, they're trying. They're trying. I agree, Ryan. They went back and they had a press conference back in the East Coast. They moved the press conference from a hotel by the airport to the Rose Bowl last year. They're trying to improve some things. There's still a ways to go, but the Pac-10 is a very polished, powerful conference in everything, okay? And it doesn't get its due. And I really think that's because of a poor, poor marketing effort, very poor marketing effort done by the Pac-10. 
All right. Well, we'll get to talk about that a lot more, Coach, in the future. We'll see what happens with the sanctions, all that kind of fun stuff. But we're going to have to let you go now. We're going to get the, some recruiting talk in. But thanks for joining us, and we'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, buddy. And right. have a great week. Take care, Coach. We'll be back in right. 30 seconds talking some USC recruiting. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are joined in this segment by none other than USCFootball.com National Recruiting Analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Uh, just uh, coming from a, a long weekend of 7 7 in camps. Um, it gets started earlier and earlier each year, and so uh, we hit that this weekend, and uh, a lot of content coming up on the site in the future here for the next uh, week or so probably. There's probably so much content there, it'll probably bleed over to uh, two weeks, but uh, it was fun <laughs> and uh, got a lot of good stuff for the subscribers. For sure, yeah. Lots of, we were both down uh, up in Woodland Hills yesterday on Sunday for the 1925 All-Stars Passing League practice there's a bunch of teams that'll be going to vegas this weekend we got to check that out with uh the new addition to the staff brian matthews who we were trying to get on the show hopefully i can add him on here at the end in a little bit but we weren't able to track him down this morning i think he's busy you know writing away of all the updates and stuff that we've been doing over the weekend but yeah we brought brian on the staff how's that been so far for you gerard that's been great um you know it's it's uh cool to kind of have someone that uh you can bounce ideas off of and uh you know, maybe take some of the workload. I mean, he was able to do some video while we're, you know, trying to take photos and stuff. And uh, like I said, it just uh, allows us to to get everything from every possible angle. And, uh, you know, the more we get, the more content we can put up, and the more the subscribers have to watch and read. So it's a, a win-win for everybody. Now, Saturday, you were out there in Corona. Maybe you can kind of describe what was going on there. I wasn't out to, to attend that one, but w- what was that like and who, what players were out there? Yeah, um, we were out in Corona, California, which is the Inland Empire uh, for Ryan Abraham, who does not leave the, uh, the Los Angeles County border. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, being from the Inland Empire, I go everywhere, by the way, uh, just for the subscribers out there so they know that. Um, but uh, hit it down to Corona, and uh, it was great. Man. It was really, really good camp. It's the Gridiron Camp, which is uh, another – uh, camp of uh, seven-on-seven players that is going to go out to Vegas. And they actually had two teams, and I don't know if they're going to field two teams for the actual tournament in Las Vegas, uh, which is the Badger Sports Tournament uh, next weekend, or they're just going to actually combine that team. But uh, some pretty good players uh, playing for uh, Cornell Knox, who's uh, got uh, a nice uh, little thing going there. You've got um, Shane Dillon, 
who's a 6'5", 180-pound quarterback uh, from El Cajon, um, California, down there in San Diego, who uh, was at USC's junior day, and USC talked a little bit, maybe, you know, talking about an offer, going to see him throw in person. Um, I think uh, it's going to be interesting. I, don't, I really don't know if USC is going to offer a quarterback, and I think if they offer a quarterback uh, this year, it's really got to be because, A, somebody transfers, um, and they're in fear that maybe Barkley's going to leave early, and that would put them, you know, that could put you down to two quarterbacks real quickly. Um, and, and that's something that uh, obviously USC doesn't want to have uh, with the rotation problems and, um, you know, with the limited scholarship offers. You just don't want to end up with uh, only two quarterbacks on your roster. So I kind of feel like there would have to be something that would happen that would almost be unexpected um, for them to, to go after a quarterback. Uh, I think Dylan's a, a solid quarterback, but I don't know if he's going to be that guy that uh, is that amazing, you know, Dan Marino, John Elway, the guy that you got to take regardless, you know, no matter what, ah, we got to have this kid. we got to have this kid. doesn't matter how many quarterbacks we have on the roster right now. They'll transfer because this kid's so good. Um, I don't know if he's going to be that guy. Uh, also watched, uh, you know, Alfonso Marsh is a 6'4", 185-pound cornerback slash safety from Dominguez High School. Dominguez High School, we've talked about this before, uh, after the Junior Day uh, podcast, you know they, they've got five, six guys on that team that are Division One guys, and Marsh is kind of the guy that's under the radar. He, I think, people know the least about him, um, and he's really raw. But uh, he's a guy that plays corner at six four, and it looks like you know he may be fast enough to actually play corner, or at the very least, be a free safety. We saw him out there; he's a good-looking prospect. Uh, the guy that was out there that we didn't actually expect to see out there was Jabari Ruffin, uh, who's the uh, probably about six three, two hundred twenty-five, two hundred thirty-pound linebacker from Downey, who committed to USC a couple of weeks ago. And uh, wow. Talk about a great athlete. I mean, um, you know, I think he was kind of rusty. I think you'll see on the video that we put up of him uh, exclusively just kind of isoing on his performance. You know, he was kind of getting a feel for the coverages, and, and that was his first time out there with that team and, and being in that defense and being coached by those coaches. But when you see him going, when you see him, you know, head in the direction and know where he's going – he is fast. I mean, he just flat out flies. I don't know if he's going to be the elite of the elite five-star type guy, but I think he'll definitely be one of the top ten linebackers nationally. Um, you know, he's he's going to be of that high four-star rivals 100 uh, type lineage, um, and uh, definitely still, I think we're looking at an athlete that can play linebacker and, and can hit um, maybe, you know, some of the natural instincts. That's still a question mark because we're just watching seven on seven. It's non-contact, but it was good to see him in space. Good to see his feet, his quickness. And, um, and he's a big boy. I mean, that's the big thing too, is, is just, you know, looking at him, looking, looking at his frame, seeing if he's, he's really as big as he's listed. Um, you know, I don't know if he's really six, four, he's probably six, two and a half, six, three, but he's, uh, he's plenty big enough, you know, for USC and probably one of the more dynamic players that they will bring in at that position, uh, looking back at the last few classes. Um, so he was out there and, and, and looked really good. So, you know, overall, you know, Darius Rogers, another guy on the offensive side of the ball, a receiver, also committed to USC. Uh, we've seen him a couple weeks now. We've seen him a few weeks, actually. Um, you know, about 6'2", 195. We talked about him being a guy that, similar to Jordan Payton in a lot of ways as a receiver, and with USC being low in scholarships, you know, does one of those guys move a position? Does one of those guys end up not going to USC? at the end of the day, you know, we saw Darius at the uh, uh, Asante Elite quarterback camp a couple weeks ago, and weren't super, super impressed. Um, a lot of people, you know, I, I think were kind of questioning, you know, maybe some of the, 
his ability in terms of speed and some of those things. And I think, you know, in terms of once he gets going downfield, he's, he's got some separation. He's actually a little faster than you would think. I think it's a little deceiving because he's a long strider. But, you know, is he overall that much different than Jordan Payton, who we got to see Sunday? So we could talk a little bit about that. I don't know if that would be a transition into uh, – the, uh, the the 1925 camp. It's a great transition, Gerard, actually. So that was the 1925 camp is a, a seven-on-seven team run by Keyshawn Johnson, number 19, and Brian Kelly, number 25, both former Trojans, both former NFL players. And uh, so they, they have a, a team that they put together. We got to see them practice yesterday heading out. And one of the marquee names on that team is, is the guy you just mentioned, Jordan Payton. And Jordan is, um, you know, he's getting bigger. I think Jordan's quicker at this point. I think in terms of watching routes, seeing him get off the ball, um, Jordan's just a little faster of a, of a player right now. He's actually probably a little bigger, too. I mean, he's definitely uh, been in the weight room and hit it harder. Um, Darius Rogers, kind of a soft body, um, a guy that you look at and you go, okay, he projects a little more. Uh, whereas Peyton, you kind of see what you're going to get right now. Um, and it's it's tough. I mean, you know, people are going to put me on the spot. They're going to go, well, if you've got to take one of those two guys, which guy do you take? Um, I don't want to make that selection. I don't have to make that selection, you know, especially this early in the process. Um, but, I mean, I liked what I saw from Jordan yesterday. He dropped a few balls. Um, you know, he's got to continue to, to – to just focus and relax and not try too hard. I think there's a little bit of that going on, you know, trying to show, you know, all the cameras out there. And, you know, we were there and he knows all of us. And, you know, he's trying to show that he's improved in certain areas and that he is fast. And there was, a, you know, a couple of instances where you got to see him run by some pretty good defensive backs. You know, he got that little extra burst towards the end of his uh, route and he got a little bit of that separation um, that, you know, I'm not seeing consistently with Darius Rogers and, uh, you know, you know Darius is is probably showing a little better hands. I think at this point in the process, he's you know in the in the, the a couple times that we've seen him play, he's made some really good catches. Um, it's just a matter of you know is he always turning it on 100%? You know is he always playing as hard as he can? He kind of just has that that way about him, the way he carries himself kind of looks like he's coasting sometimes. Um, whereas Peyton is, is pushing hard, uh, but sometimes it looks like he's almost pushing too hard and kind of working against himself. And, you know, he dropped a couple balls and there was a couple of routes he ran that uh, Keyshawn was all over him yesterday. I mean, he was in his ear every, every other play and pushing him. But, you know, talking to Keyshawn Johnson afterwards, you know, he knows Jordan Payton's got a lot of talent, and he knows Jordan Payton is a highly thought-of player, and so he's not going to let him off the hook. But, you know, Keyshawn's like that with all the guys. I mean, he was out there, and he was giving all the guys a lot of guff about, you know, not running the right player, not running the right route, or, you know, don't don't you see what you're doing wrong? And I mean, the difference between the two camps, you know, one camp was definitely – they were doing some technical work uh, in terms of, you know, this is how you want to do this on this particular play to cover three. So, you know, as a cornerback, you want to release here. You want to make sure that, you know, you've got inside, et cetera, et cetera, all these little technical points from a, from a playbook standpoint. But really getting ready for a tournament, whereas, you know, I think 1925, I think Keyshawn's out there. And, I mean, you know, if they win, he's a competitive guy. He wants to win. I mean, he's pushing. Don't, don't, don't get that twisted. But he's really with the receivers. Uh, uh, giving them an opportunity to to really work on the finer points of their of their route running. You know, they ran specific routes, and you could see, you know, certain times, you know, a guy would come up too high on his break. And, you know, you, when you're a receiver, you don't want to run high on your breaks. You don't want to cut on your routes really high because you're 
your weight and your balance is going to, it's just going to, it's going to make you have to round that route out because you're too high, you're top heavy. So you want to always get low on it. And there was a point where Jordan ran like a double move and he almost got too low. He like sunk his head down and got so low that he kind of slowed himself down and, it, and the route took forever and, and Keyshawn just blew up. He's like, what are you doing? What was that? You're making all these noises. You're making all these faces. You're, you're, you're running all low and it took the route, you know, it took you five minutes to get downfield. Like you can't do that. You have to have a combination of both. And there's that fine line of running your route and getting low on your brakes, but also allowing yourself to open up and, and run fast. So um, there's a lot of those technical points. And it was fun. It was, it was fun to listen to him, man. He's a great trash hawker. No, Keyshawn's great out there. And it, you could see that competitive spirit, him and Brian Kelly, both. They want to win. You know, they want these guys to perform well. They don't want to go out to Las Vegas and just fall flat on their faces. So it was, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens when they go out there and you know get this team going. And I think defensively, you know, you talk about Brian Kelly who's working with uh, Brandon Beaver, who's actually got a cast on his arm. He's, uh, you know, broke his, uh, I think, I can't remember if he said it was his wrist or his hand, um, but, uh, you know, had that injury and definitely slowed him up. You know, I think stride-wise, he's just having that cast on his on his wrist, on on his hand kind of, He's a little unbalanced in terms of his run and his stride. Uh, but, you know, actually made quite a few plays. He, he, he did pretty well uh, yesterday. I think, uh, you know, he, being another Dominguez kid, you see him playing across from Marsh. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a defensive backfield they got there at Dominguez, which is kind of traditionally so with Dominguez. I mean, every few years they usually have uh, a pretty uh, a pretty good defensive backfield. Um, and then also playing uh, for 1925 across from him uh, was Ishmael Adams, who we're going to have an update on, who's, you know, small cornerback, but is getting a lot of offers. You know, UCLA, Oregon, there's a lot of teams coming in after him, even some teams in the SEC because he's originally from Georgia. And he's probably, you know, 5'8", and maybe in that 185-pound, 190-pound range. And um, he's small, but he's really aggressive, and he's really quick. And he's one of those guys that uh, if he gets you at the line of scrimmage, you're not going anywhere. And we saw that. And uh, Keyshawn and Brian Kelly both really kind of talked about him and, and noted him as being a guy that uh, really stood out, you know, a lot in drills and, and was going to be a good player for them and a guy that probably played a little running back too. So um, he was a guy that, that got a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of good uh, reviews from the coaches. And uh, the coaches, you know, really weren't up there, you know, after we talked to them to blow up their guys and talk about them. And, and we're talking about, you know, former pro athletes here. So they're not going to just go out there and say, this guy's great. And, you know, maybe he's not a good player. So um, Ishmael Adams uh, played pretty well. He's a guy that's being recruited pretty hard from USC. He doesn't have an offer yet. Uh, but we hear maybe his – I think you got uh, breaking information on, on him. I think uh, – what was it, Ryan? His dog, uh, he's got an offer from USC now? <laughs> his dog Pluto is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> his dog had the biggest head of any animal that I've ever seen. But, uh, yeah, he was awesome. He was like the most friendly dog, and everybody was just uh, – uh, he's like the community dog for the day. No, it was definitely a lot of – a lot of fun out there checking it out and, and seeing a couple old pros like that coaching these young guys and I, it's got to be encouraging for the, the the kids to have some guy that they know has played in the NFL and won a Super Bowl and all that stuff kind of telling them out there what to do yeah exactly and that, I mean I think it can you know it can it can go a lot of different ways because you know some high high school coaches may be somewhat against it and be like you know we don't want you going out to this other team in the off season, and that's the real dynamic and the debate between this whole seven on seven phenomenon and and just you know high school football seven on seven because for years and years and years uh, high school football teams have been playing seven on seven and seven on seven leagues passing leagues 
uh, for years. I mean, I, when I was in high school, played high school football. We played in passing leagues, and we travel. We go down to San Diego. We go to Las Vegas. We go up to Fresno. We do a lot of different things, and that's kind of now spawned into, you know, these kind of. I don't want to say AAU, but they are separate from the high school team somewhat. Sometimes some of the high school coaches are involved with the teams, um, but uh, you know, in, in a in a a situation with uh, with Keyshawn and Brian Kelly and, uh, and Byron Moore and the guys that are involved in that 1925 team, they're not necessarily the high school coaches of some of those kids. Um, obviously, Keyshawn and Brian are, are not coaches, so they're not really involved. And I think maybe you know the high school coaches may be a little bit uh, a little a little wary of that. And and you know we don't want to just kind of give our guys over to some off season kind of program where they start learning different things. But from what we saw, you know, like I said with Keyshawn and Brian, I mean they're really getting good coaches. I, I was maybe surprised at that to some degree. I thought they'd be out there working on certain things as a team, and you know, really, hey, let's 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 do this so we can you know be better in Vegas and we can win in Vegas. Whereas um, it was there's a lot of technical work. They they didn't stop you know the technical work and the fundamentals and the focus on that um, just to say hey let's run a bunch of plays and stuff like that. Um, so it was it was a pretty good balance. It was uh, like I said, it was interesting and it was fun and um, you know it's. Uh, it's been a it's been a long couple of weeks with uh, with all this kind of seven on seven stuff that we've been covering. All right. Uh, well, we do have a question or two we can get to. You want to you want to get to those? A question or two? Yes. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So here's the first one. We got a voicemail question for you. Hey Ryan, um, I have a question for Gerard. I was asking about the situation with Delvin Simmons, who signed with uh, North Carolina. But it looks like he wants out of his scholarship, and it looks like North Carolina is going to let him leave. Um, I want to know what are the chances he ends up with USC. And uh, I would love to see him with uh, George Yuko, Christian Hayward, and Green Day, defensive tackle spot for the next three, four years. Thank you very much, and fight on. Okay, so at this point, uh, from what we understand, North Carolina has yet to release him uh, from his letter of intent. Um, so, you know, we're kind of waiting to see what happens with that. And a lot of people want to know, hey, first, you know, why wouldn't they let him? And then there's also questions, why would they let him? Why wouldn't they let him would be, you know, would be bad PR for UNC. Um, USC was in a similar situation with Sartrell Henderson, who signed with USC and then turned around after the sanctions and, you know, everything going on with that, decided that he didn't want to go to USC got released from his letter of intent and ended up going to Miami. Now, USC just, they tried to keep him. I mean, you know, the, the coaches flew back to Minnesota and, you know, tried to kind of re-recruit him and say, hey, listen, yeah, we're on sanctions, but it's not going to be a big deal. You know, look, you could still play, et cetera, et cetera. But he felt that he was lied to because he felt like, you know, the coaches, uh, not only in this staff, but the previous staff, had kind of told him, hey, you know what, we're sanctions, not a big deal. Uh, you know, we, uh, we don't think we're going to get hit very much. And, you know, whether it was just an excuse for him because he had second thoughts or what happened, have you decided that you know he just didn't want to be at USC anymore and was going to go to Miami? Now with uh, with Simmons, the only real reason that we can see that he wants to leave North Carolina now is because of a coaching change. Their defensive line coach, who was there uh, for a very brief time, because John Blake obviously you know had to resign because of all the. NCAA issues going on there with agents and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he was a defensive line coach for many years, one of the better recruiters nationally. 
he had to resign because of all those, you know, controversy and, and just everything going on uh, with the NCAA. So they brought in someone else who was there up until signing day and then left for the Dallas Cowboys right after signing day. So their defensive line coach is no longer there, and that was one of the reasons that was cited for him not being happy with North Carolina and wanting to leave North Carolina. Now, the NCAA and the school don't really recognize a coaching change as a reason to be able to get out of your letter of intent or to be able to transfer from the school. Um, so while it may be bad PR for UNC to, to have a disgruntled kid there, uh, they could still try to say, hey, listen, we're going to keep you on your letter of intent. We're not going to let you out of it. And you can bitch and moan all you want, but we just want you to get on campus just to give us a chance, you know, meet the new coach. you got to understand that makes this really weird about this situation. Dallas Simmons didn't even officially visit UNC. Um, we'd heard really late in the process that UNC was all of a sudden becoming this player in his recruitment. And it was not really sure where that was coming from or, or what the what the angle there was with UNC because uh, there there evidently wasn't really even an in-home visit um, from the defensive line coach. And obviously John Blake, who'd been there for most of the year, um, had gone. So anybody that, you know, as far as a position coach that would have been recruiting him for a long time, uh, that would have been John Blake. And, and he, like I said, had to uh, resign or I don't know if he was fired. Actually, I don't know the, the specific details of that whole situation, but um, you know, it's kind of one and the same at the end of the day. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you don't like the defensive line coach, but, you know, I mean, he, he wasn't necessarily a guy that was there for, you know, five years or something and it had this, you know, long, you know, relationship with him or, you know, to kind of develop this rapport. And you didn't even take an official visit there towards the end of the day. Yet still, on signing day, we, we heard it. I mean, we actually predicted he'd go to UNC and he went to UNC, which surprised a lot of North Carolina fans because he didn't take an official visit. So, it, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on here and, you know, what really is the motivation behind him kind of second-guessing that pick. I mean, does he just want to be closer to home? I think if UNC had, you know, if there was some talk like maybe, you know, he's got a sick grandma, you can you can get uh, with the transfer situation, it's called uh, extraneous circumstances where if you've got a loved one or if you've got some reason why you've got to transfer from a school to be closer to home, they'll allow you to do that. Um, you know, kind of a weird thing is Brandon Willis is a defensive tackle that signed with North Carolina a few years ago, one of the top defensive tackles in, in the nation. He was from North Carolina, signed with North Carolina, then decided he wanted to transfer out of North Carolina, ended up at UCLA, sat last year at UCLA, redshirted, and now he's saying, well, my mom's sick, or, or his, I think his grandma's sick, and now he's going back to North Carolina. So, and that's under the extraneous circumstances type waiver for a transfer. Now we've got to you know, point out this is not a transfer situation. This is just a letter of intent situation. So it's a little different. He's not enrolled at the school and has to transfer out. He just has a letter of intent. But it still doesn't necessarily mean that UNC has to let him out of that letter of intent or there's anything really different than that. And it seems from what we're hearing from North Carolina sources is that UNC wants to give him a partial list of schools that they are okay with him transferring to. And, you know, people are, are, are disagreeing that, well, that's not, that's not true. You, you, they can't have any control over where he goes once they release him. You know what? That's being a little naive <laughs> into understanding the process and how things go on behind the scenes. There are plenty of influences. There's plenty of things that can happen. There's plenty of control schools have 
uh, especially with his high school coach that, you know, he doesn't want necessarily bad PR because maybe he's got some players in the future that want to end up at North Carolina. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on here and, and with all these, you know, possible transfers and a kid in this situation. And obviously it's a very unique situation. It's an odd situation being that he never officially visited North Carolina yet signed with North Carolina on signing day. Um, now, what does this all mean for USC? From what we understand, uh, as we reported in the war room last week, USC is interested. Um, if he's actually, uh, you know, let go of his, uh, of his letter of intent, uh, from what we hear, uh, from a few different sources, uh, it sounds like USC has some room open in this class and they would, you know, look at taking him in. Um, would he be interested in USC still? That's kind of a question that remains open-ended because we have not been able to talk to him. Uh, and USC would have no contact with him until he's actually released from his scholarship. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's just illegal. So they wouldn't have any contact with him. So nobody really knows from his side of the fence if, you know, there's really a lot of interest in any specific one school or another. I mean, maybe he just does want to get closer to home. Pitt was a school that he was looking at. Rutgers was a school that kind of made uh, a last-minute kind of run at him. Um, and so, you know, locally there might be some schools he wants to look at. Uh, USC is definitely a school, though, that uh, would, would likely be interested, and they probably have some room for him. And, and with what's going on with Steve Dillon, he has yet to sign um, and they're still working on that whole situation. Um, you know, getting Delbon Simmons would obviously be uh, a nice, you know, kind of add late into uh, into that defensive line class that they got, which was really excellent. And you know, quite frankly, you know, Dylan Simmons. You know, Simmons was an Army All-American, got a lot of pub, but, you know, Steve Dillon is, is right up there. I mean, he, you know, as far as being um, a guy that has a future to play in the NFL, um, I wouldn't, you know, put that past Steve Dillon. So, you know, USC's uh, in a good situation either way uh, if they can get one or two of those guys. All right. Uh, one last thing, Gerard, for you. We have a question uh, from Washington, D.C., about Shaq Thompson. What's the latest on Shaq Thompson? He said, I've heard he's decommitted from Cal. Is USC in play? He has reopened his commitment, um, or I should say the recruiting process, after committing to Cal uh, just a couple weeks ago. And so he has, uh, I guess, technically decommitted from Cal. Um, a little bit of a dog and pony show, I, I think, with some of these commitments. And we've talked about it time and time again, and it, it becomes a, a little redundant. Um, and I'm sure people are, are tired of hearing me say this, but uh, verbal commitments are becoming less and less meaningful anymore. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. It brings up the, the – it goes back to Delon Simmons. And, you know, <laughs> you've got this Sean Henderson situation, and you've got Delvin Simmons. And Sean Charles' situation – Actually, I can kind of see, you know, that, you know, the USC wasn't expecting to be on sanctions. And, and really, genuinely, we know, having talked to all the coaches, not just this staff, but last staff, nobody at USC saw that coming. Nobody at USC saw those sanctions coming. Not the penalties, not the severity. It wasn't, it wasn't there. So, of course, they're going to tell, you know, Sean Trump, hey, we don't think that, you know, much is going to happen. It's going to be one of those deals where maybe we'll lose a couple scholarships or something. And his whole thing going up into signing that letter of intent was, hey, you know, as long as you don't lose any bowl games or lose any TV time, then, you know, we're cool. I'll go to USC. And that is one of the sanctions, you know, losing two years of a bowl possibility. And so he decided to get out of it. I kind of can see that um, with Simmons. It's a little more vague as to why, you know, like I said, coaching changes happen, man. I mean, that's just the way it goes. And if kids are going to start flip-flopping with letter of intents like this, 
then not only do these commitments mean nothing, but shoot, signing day doesn't mean anything. I mean, when, when is it going to stop? When is it going to end? When, when does a kid actually have to go to a school? Because he says he's going to the school. And so you kind of wonder about that. And uh, Jack Thompson's just another, you know, recruit in a long line of recruits that is committed to a school. And now, you know, just weeks later decided, oh, I'm open again, and I don't think it's good for me to be committed. What that means, that's code for, I still want to take all my visits. The coaches don't think that I should be labeled as commitment if I want to take all my visits, and I don't think it's really good for my recruitment by other schools uh, if I look like I'm committed to Cal and everybody says that I'm just going to go to Cal anyways because my brother, Sidquan, went to Cal. Guess what? <laughs> Here's a newsflash. <laughs> That's still out there. You're still committed to Cal. People still know you're from a school where basically they just send people there to go to Cal. Uh, I mean, with a Vimola, um, you know, uh, Puka Loca last year, uh, all, all kinds of guys, you know, from, from Grant High School in Sacramento have gone to Cal. So it's not necessarily anything has changed, and certainly him committing verbally, whether it was for, you know, two seconds, two weeks, it doesn't really matter. It obviously shows that, you know, he's really comfortable with Cal and he really likes Cal. Uh, but it's just one of those situations where, you know, the kid, I think, thinks in his own mind, hey, well, you know, I'm going to say I'm re reopening my commitment, and now I'll become a national recruit again. You know, I think schools pretty much know that, it's going to be very difficult to get him away from Cal. And, uh, and it'd be pretty surprising to a lot of people if he didn't end up at Cal. Um, obviously, man, crazy things can happen. You know, maybe the whole coaching staff gets fired. or you know, there's, and, that's, and that's really the reason why USC, with this coaching staff, was so successful last year and will continue to be successful as a recruiting staff is because they're so relentless. And there's so many things that can happen during the season. I mean, who would have thought Texas would have fell on their face last year um, and had such an abysmal year. I mean, that really kind of opened the door for a lot of guys uh, that Texas was recruiting. And I mean, you know, Christian Westerman is a good example of that, uh, of a guy that was committed to Texas early on, looked like Texas was just going to keep trucking along in the Big 12, you know, get back to another BCS game. And if all that happens, you know, does Christian Westerman start looking around again? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so those kind of things happen. There's coaching changes, obviously with all this NCAA agent stuff going on. Now you've got Oregon being looked at. You've got uh, Auburn under the, the microscope. You've still got UNC. We don't really know what's going on with that. Maybe Delvon Simmons knows something that everybody else doesn't know. There's a lot of those things that could happen, which, you know, maybe a kid that's a lock to a school isn't really a lock down the line. But as far as, you know, if everything's kind of status quo, yeah, Shaq Thompson is probably going to go to Cal. And it's just like we talked about. I think I got a question about Pete Shepard uh, last week. Either it was on the live show or it was during the podcast. People asking me, you know, T. Shepard is a cornerback, uh, 6'1", 175, one of the top cornerbacks, if not the top cornerback in California that committed to Notre Dame. He had not even, he not even visited Notre Dame. He never been on the campus of Notre Dame up until actually making that commitment. So, you got a kid who's never officially visited Notre Dame, but decided he really likes the coaches and he really likes the scheme or he really likes something there, and he's going to go ahead and commit. Now, yeah, I'll take my visit afterwards. You know, he could take that that flight and go, holy cow, that's really far away. I didn't realize how far away that was, and I didn't realize that my parents were probably not going to be able to see me but once or twice in my whole career uh, playing at home at South Bend. And then all of a sudden the whole game changes, and that's another one we're going to watch and see if you know he really ends up going to Notre Dame. I could see that not happening either. So you know the recruiting process, it's extremely fluid at this point. 
Um, and I think really the, the difference is you have more early commitments than you had in the past, uh, but it doesn't mean they're any more solid um, or mean any more uh, than they you know did when kids were just saying, I really like this school. Because basically right now, <laughs> this day and age, when a kid says I'm committed to a school and he's not local or he doesn't have a, a, a lineage to that school, there's something that, you know, really like he's a Chris Calippo type kid and you go, okay, yeah, he's going to end up there. If that's not in place, then basically the kid's saying, I really like this school. This school is my leader. That's basically <laughs> what a verbal commitment means anymore. It's more of a leadership than a, an actual commitment thing. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, Gerard, hey, great stuff. And uh apologize, we weren't able to catch up with uh, Brian Matthews. We'll hopefully have him on the show uh, next week or something like that. We'll get to talk some recruiting with him. Looking forward to doing that. And just a reminder to everyone, we're not going to have our weekly uscfootball.com TV show. USC is on spring break this week and traditions isn't open where we normally do the show. So we'll just skip the TV show this week and we'll be back next week where you can see the latest episode was Alan Bradford. We had on last week. That'll be up on peristylepodcast.com. You can check that out. Uh, Gerard, thanks again for joining us and sharing all your recruiting insights. Always good stuff. Yes, thank you for having me, and happy spring break to everyone out there, except for us, because we will continue <laughs> to work and work and work. It's not spring break for us, unfortunately, but you know we're bringing the people what they want. They want to know what's going on with USC recruiting, and that, that you're the man at that, Gerard. That's what we got to do, man. That's that's uh, as uh, Ted Dean Senior once said, in such wisdom. He do what he do. <laughs> he do what he do. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks very much. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back with another great show next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.